Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a big one. (laughs) Psalm 55. I feel like today we're going to learn a lot. So there's going to be a fair bit of teaching. It's almost going to feel, I think, for a little bit like a class and then a sermon. So uh, apologies in advance for that. Um, Psalm 55, a couple of things, maybe just to kind of hear and know about this. This one is from David. It's a maskil, uh, a type of song. And as you're reading the Psalms on your own, you may come across this word. Uh, actually, we had this question this morning. The tech deck was like, should I leave this word on the screen? Because you never seem to read it. And that word is selah, S-E-L-A-H. Um, the word means something. Uh, we don't know, actually, what that word means. Uh, it's in the Psalms. It's usually kind of off to the side. It's written in the original texts all over the place, so it's always included. But we don't really know how that translates. The best guess is that it's some sort of musical notation. Like, at this point, the band stops playing. I don't, who knows, right? It's, it's something musical, which I wouldn't understand anyways because I'm not a musician, but it's, that's, that's what that is. But that's just kind of the way in which we try to remain as faithful to the text as possible. We don't know what it means, but we're going to keep it in there no matter what. So, and, and we're actually only reading kind of the second half uh, of this psalm because it's a longer one, and there's plenty of information in this already. So uh, this is Psalm 55, beginning at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning, at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give me ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think actually we need to start this morning just by hearing from the disciples themselves uh, in Luke 11. This isn't up on the screen, so you guys don't have to scramble looking for it. Just one verse, Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. 
That's where we're starting. Lord, teach us to pray. This is an interesting point that the disciples themselves bring up to Jesus that they need to be taught how to pray. And I think it's a common Christian experience that uh, as you believe and, and as you try to walk a faithful life, you want to pray and you feel like you should just be able to pray. It seems like something that should be natural, that everybody should just know, I believe in Jesus. You know, I got the Holy Spirit when I was baptized, so I should just know how to pray. But that's not actually the case. Even the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer is something that is taught. It's communication with your heavenly Father. It's a, this personal connection that we have with our Creator. And, and as little children, we're taught to pray by our parents or by our pastors or by our congregation, but we're, we're just not natural at it. And it's something to work on, but there's, there's really good news. <laughs> and the good news is that not only does Jesus teach how to pray when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray in the Psalms. See, the Psalms are this unique book in the Bible, the only book in the Bible that is completely from start to finish. Bonhoeffer, we're going to talk about him a little bit in a minute, calls it the prayer book of the Bible. That's its entire intent. It's the word of God, meaning that it is inspired by God, and it comes through these human authors, including David. He wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them, but it comes through these human authors, but it's their prayers, their songs, their, their means of communication with God. So we have a great deal to learn from them when it comes to praying. And in fact, as we pray the Psalms, we learn how Jesus himself prayed. I, I said a minute ago, we're going to talk about this dude, Bonhoeffer, and I wanted to get some quotes from him, and I, I printed them off. I almost feel like I should just give you the, if you want a great book to read, in general, on prayer, um, there's this combined book. It's called Life Together and Prayer Book of the Bible. It's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. An incredible story behind this guy. He was uh, a World War II German Lutheran pastor, kind of rebelled against the Nazis, kind of cost him his life. Really heroic story uh, of this dude who wrote these things. And I wanted to get just one quick quote from him, and I printed off all of this. It's just, it's too much. But he, he says, the disciples want to pray, but they do not know how they should do it. Bonhoeffer says, it can become a great torment to want to speak with God and not be able to do it, having to be speechless before God, sensing that every cry remains enclosed within one's own self, that heart and mouth speak a perverse language which God does not want to hear. In such, we need to seek people who can help us who know something about praying. He says, therefore, we must learn to pray. The child learns to speak because the parent speaks to the child. The child learns the language of the parent. And again, he says, now there is in the Holy Scriptures one book that differs from all the other books of the Bible. That's where I got that from, in that it contains only prayers. That book is the Psalms. And now there's this crazy, cool, historical, doctrinal teaching that we have about the book of Psalms. Is Jesus' prayer book. 
What do I mean by that? Well, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This is the Word of God. Jesus, the Word becomes flesh. We know that's Jesus. The inspiration of all of these scriptures, these words of God, John sort of equates with Jesus himself. So if the Psalms are the Word of God and Jesus is God and Psalms is a prayer book, this is the prayer of Jesus. This is why so many of the Psalms reflect so clearly who Jesus is. When you read Psalm 22, you're reading a picture of the crucifixion. In Psalm 22, it talks about pierced hands and feet. Well, well, David never had pierced hands and feet. This is the Spirit inspiring Jesus to write things of pre-incarnate Jesus before he is born that pre-incarnate Jesus knows and are then manifest hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is born. I know that sounds really strange and weird because it is. But essentially the Psalms are a telling or retelling of the prayers of Jesus. It's a hard concept to get, but I I got a couple of examples uh, of retelling here. For example, the movie 10 Things I Hate About You, you guys probably, some of you have seen that. That's a retelling of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Great movie, incredible soundtrack. That's a retelling of Homer's Odyssey, right? Some of these, some of these you may have already known in advance. Sons of Anarchy, that's Hamlet. West Side Story, everybody knows what that one is, right? That's Romeo and Juliet, and we know that. That's a, a retelling in a different context. Uh, this one blew my mind. I had no idea because I haven't seen it in forever and I only watched it because my girlfriend made me watch it. Clueless. The movie Clueless. Does anybody know this? It's Emma. Jane Austen's Emma. And I know that sounds weird. Like, I don't think Jane Austen ever wrote whatever in like her. (laughs) But it's the same story, just in a different context. I thought that was just fantastic. Uh, There was another Jane Austen one. Bridget Jones' Diary, that's Pride and Prejudice. I didn't know that either. So we're kind of familiar with this concept of a retelling of the story, and the the retelling, or kind of in the Psalms, the pre-telling of the story of Jesus is this cool thing where, where heaven and earth sort of meet in this handshake. The Psalms are where heaven and earth meet, and it's in the context of David. So as we hear David writing in the Psalms, we're we're getting this sort of connection of these two things. And in the Psalm, what you heard, hopefully, is the betrayal of David by some close friend of his, right? And so we're quick to think immediately, well, this sounds a lot like Judas, this sounds a lot like the one of the 12 who was with Jesus. As, as David says, walking into the temple through these holy spaces, doing holy things, having these incredible conversations and experiences, all the while preparing to betray and even kill. Go, yeah, that is exactly what happens to Jesus. And that's not a bad it's not a bad connection to make, but as we're reading, you know, it's, it's not just the, the pre-incarnate Jesus 
you know, in the context, that handshake with David, speaking about these future things that will happen, but it's also then translated into our context in two different ways. First, of course, we've all experienced betrayal in you know, small ways and in, in more significant ways. Those little betrayals of a friend or a loved one who you thought you could trust, but they told your secret to somebody. And those bigger ones that they're life-altering, heart-shattering betrayals. We've all experienced that. But given that context of Jesus with Judas, we have to keep in our minds our betrayal of God. From the very beginning, from the very beginning of time, man has rebelled against his creator and betrayed God simply by eating of the fruit first, but then every time we, we don't do that which we are designed to do, created to do, recreated in baptism to do, when we don't live as God has called us to live as Christians, it's a betrayal of that spirit that he has given to us. That sin, each and every sin, is a betrayal. So yes, in, in this psalm, we hear David, and frankly, David kind of goes off <laughs> a little bit here. Um, because it's so close to home. I forgot to, to give that next sermon point here. Close to home. All right. Psalm 55, 13 to 14. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. But then he actually talks about wanting him to die. He's, he says, whew, I wish you will go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Let death steal over them. Now, Jesus isn't saying in this prayer that that's a healthy and good thing to pray. This is David's context. In the psalm, Jesus is telling us he understands that feeling. He understands that, that death might feel to you appropriate for somebody who has betrayed you so significantly. And in fact, he's saying it's, it's not only a feeling that is appropriate, it rings true on a spiritual and theological plane. Because if our sin is a betrayal to God, and the wages of sin is death, then yeah, of course it feels like someone who betrays us, some, someone in, in a small or significant way who betrays us, it feels appropriate that something terrible should happen to them. And in fact, that was God's declaration at the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, he says, if you eat of it, you will surely die. So it's completely appropriate, it's completely understandable for you to feel that way. It makes sense, it's just not right. Because sin isn't right, and betrayal isn't right, and death isn't right. We're not created intentionally from the beginning to be creatures who die. None of this is going the way it was designed to go. 
And sometimes our lives feel that way, and it's super clear, right? None of this feels like the way it was supposed to go. I didn't see any of it going this way. This is not how I thought this was going to happen. I didn't think my life would be like this. I didn't think I would live this way or, or have this experience or have my family or any of this. It just doesn't seem like what was in my head so many years ago when I was so young and just starting out fresh. I know. This world is full of sin. This whole world rebels against God. It's not just you, and it's not just friends and family and, and all people. All of the world is so corrupted by sin, it feels like there are those times in, in those moments of, of darkness, desperation, despair, that you think to yourself, maybe it would just be better for this whole world to just go away. And God agrees. In fact, that is the plan. The plan is this world will pass away and there will be this new earth with a new heavens and no longer will it be this handshake of, of Holy Spirit-inspired word of pre-incarnate Jesus reaching into the flawed, sinful, and limited mind of David as a handshake means of teaching you how to communicate with your creator, but you will walk in the midst of your creator. And Jesus will stand next to you and speak with you. And, and the context will not be one of betrayal or, or pain or suffering or sorrow or any of those things. The context will be perfection. The context will be everything is going just the way it was designed to go. Everything in this world is working out exactly as God had planned. So this, this teaching that we receive in Psalm 55 today is not pray for the destruction of your enemies, but rather recognize that that destruction, that anger, and that fury over sin is legitimate. And so God dealt with it on the cross. See, he doesn't wish Judas death. He simply understands and affirms that that is the wages of betrayal. Now, without that faith in Jesus, with, without that redemptive belief in Jesus as Messiah, he goes, as we all know, to his eternal death. But those who believe and trust in him understand that that, that pain, suffering, sorrow, that that we might seem to want to wish on our enemies goes upon Christ. The real teaching of this prayer as we pray the Psalms together is found in the Psalm, of course. <laughs> it's verse 16. It says, call on God. Just call on God. In verse 16, David says, but I call to God the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety 
from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and do not fear God. He says, I call on God to save me. Yes, he feels this way towards his enemy, but he doesn't call on God to destroy the enemy. He calls on God to save himself. As we pray the Psalms, and that is my encouragement to you, learn to pray the Psalms. Just just pray along with them. You know when we do the Lord's Prayer, we just did it this morning, Dan starts, we all start with, and we all pray it together. Hear that in your mind as you pray a Psalm, as you read it, hear Jesus and a crowd of saints praying it with you, that this is your prayer. And it will teach you to pray, because even as you're praying through this psalm, where there is anguish and anger and trouble and and all sorts of terrible things that have happened to David, the resolution is, I call on the Lord, and he will save me. Not destruction on enemies. God will deal with sin, and he dealt with it on the cross, God will deal with the unrighteousness of others. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is not the sin of other people. Your responsibility is is not to spend your time and your energy focusing on them and how they have wronged you. It literally will give you nothing. You will gain nothing from any of that. David does it for a short time here, but even he seems to understand, well, this isn't going to work. And so he says in verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He says it right there. It, these things, these troubles that I have with other people, give that over to God. That's God's responsibility. It's not my job to change somebody else's mind. It's not my job to mete out vengeance on other people. It's not my calling by God as a Christian to deal with somebody else's sin. That's that's not what my concern is. My concern is me. And when it comes to my concern, when it comes to my responsibility, it isn't even to fix myself, to figure myself out, to find myself in the Psalms. It is to call to God and say, I need you to rescue me. I need you to rescue me, the one who betrays, the one who sins, the one who lies, steals, cheats, all of this. I need God to rescue me. This is my cry, and this is my time of prayer today and every day. Lord, rescue me. Because those other people, if I spend my time focusing on what they've done, what they've said, how they've hurt me, all of those things, will profit me nothing. It doesn't hurt them. (laughs) It doesn't actually do anything. All it does is keep my eyes focused in the wrong place. Keeps my mind and my heart focused on sin, on behavior that I can't control or influence, on, on things that I can't change and nothing that I can accomplish. All it does is keep me away from the one thing God teaches us to pray over and over and over again. As we cry out, Lord, teach us how to pray, he responds with, well, start with calling to the Lord and asking him to rescue you. And if you are still stuck in that spot of, I don't even know how to pray, uh, you're just like the disciples. In Luke 11, having traveled with Jesus several times, as Jesus goes off to pray, 
ironically, the Psalms. And he comes back and he says, Lord, teach me how to pray. It's all right here. Find some Psalms. Just read them and in your mind, hear Jesus praying with you. But allow yourself to be caught up in that and go through that roller coaster that David will often go through in his psalms of of the pit of despair to the heights of celebration, back to the pits of despair, and winding up in the same spot over and over and over again. Lord, rescue me. Lord, save me from this, this world of sin and brokenness. Amen. And may the peace of God sustain you in all things. Amen. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, uh, for each and every day you grant to me and all of us gathered here and online the opportunity to speak with you. We, Lord, need to be rescued. And first and foremost, uh, as we earlier confessed our sins and received that absolution and forgiveness of sins We come before you today humble. We come before you today grateful that you have rescued us eternally. Now, O Lord, save us from ourselves, from our own unrighteousness and brokenness, so that we may live each and every day to your glory and according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.